0: Welcome to Pursuit Church Mornington podcast with Pastor Brian Carden. The message you are about to hear will help you build your faith in Christ and grow in the knowledge of His will. Let's go right into the message. Our central idea today is you belong to God. You are His and He is ours. Godly vision comes from being rooted and grounded in love. How awesome that Rich preached on love and he didn't know I was going to be preaching on love too. <laughs> it's cool, man. I love God. Godly vision comes from being rooted and grounded in love. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. I'll get to Nehemiah in a second. So that Christ may dwell in my heart or in your heart through faith. Say faith. faith. Come on, say faith. faith. That you. Say me. Speaking about you. Being rooted and grounded in love. Verse 18, may have strength to comprehend. Now notice, when you're rooted and grounded in love, that's where strength comes. Rooted, being rooted and grounded in love may have strength. So when you're not rooted and grounded in love, there's no strength. You want to help your marriage today? Be rooted and grounded in love. Strength will come. Because through love, through the love of God, you'll be able to comprehend them. You'll be able to humble yourself. You'll be able to listen first before you speak. Come on. Today, as a believer, we are rooted and grounded in love through faith, through believing. Come on, it's going to take faith. I know it's hard getting to that place of love. I understand. But we have to get to that place through faith. And when we do, you will have strength to comprehend with all the saints. Notice the word saints. Who do you think he's speaking about? The body. Not a sinner, a saint. Comprehend with all the saints. Come on, say the saints. Saints. Your brother and sister in Christ. What is the breadth, length, height, and depth? It's talking about dimensions now. So you'll be able to comprehend with every saint, with everyone in the body, what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. There's a love that comes from walking in God, that surpasses even your knowledge. Who? What does that mean? The knowledge of what you know of that person? Come on, you may know somebody that they've done some bad things and you view them in a certain light. But God says there will be a love that you will walk in that surpasses even that, even the knowledge of how you think they are or even how they are. See, because just because somebody is a certain way doesn't mean you can't love them. Amen? You know, when it comes to being a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ, one of the greatest things that we can do when it comes to relationship is not be a burden for one another, but carry one another's burdens. You see it in the body of Christ. You know, I'm going to tell them all my issues and everything, and you just begin to burden them with all your stuff. Now, there's nothing wrong with talking to people and getting counsel and getting help and getting love. But if all you're doing is gossiping and telling about how bad your life is and never receiving the advice they give, hallelujah, yeah. come on. You ever notice that? Same person comes to you, the same issues and the same problems, and they never listen to you, and the finally he's like, all right, whatever, go. <laughs> but we have to be careful that we don't get that way towards people. You're going to have to see that there might be just still immature and ignorant and walking like a child. And so you walk with them like a child. You love them. You don't see them any differently. You just love them. But today, let's not be people that just be a burden, but let's carry the burdens of one another. Come on. When's the last time you went to somebody in the body of Christ today and say, how are you doing? What are you, what's going on in your life? What are, you, what are you stressing about? What's hard right now? How can I help you? Now, the first thing that usually what happens when we say help, we think financial. Let me help you. It doesn't always have to be financial. But it may be. No, but the first place it must start in is prayer. Prayer. I would ask you a question today, and you can leave and think about it. Do you pray for the body? Do you pray for the people sitting around you? Do you think about them? I get it. We all have families, we got lives, we got jobs, and we get so focused on our own self we forget about everybody else. But see, it is up for the body to think about one another, to carry the burdens of one another. You say, I can barely carry my own burdens. I understand. So come into a place of relationship, of partnership, and in return, as you give, you'll also receive. Amen. Amen. That is good news for you today because if you're doing it on your own, you don't have to. I'm telling you right now, any person here today that feels like you are by yourself, you feel like you are carrying the pressures of life on your own, Let me help you. There is one who is in you today. He is the Holy Spirit. He is helping you, but there is also more than just the Holy Ghost. Now, let me help you. He's all that you'll ever need, but there is a body today that is here where you belong, where you are placed, that will help you, that will hold you accountable, that will instruct you, that will love you, that will build you up. But see, we have to be a body that thinks this way. I'm talking about vision still. We got to be a body that loves. Rooted and grounded in love. Being able to comprehend with all the saints, with everyone, to know the love of Christ that goes beyond your own knowledge, that you may be filled. Now look at this with all the fullness of God. How many want to be filled today? How many you said, you know what, you don't have to lift your hand, but you came in here, man, I'm empty. Man, I'm just, I'm barely making it. You ever driven your vehicle before and it's on E and you test the boundaries of that? How many of you have ever broken down because of it? Lift your hand, come on, don't lie. I've done it three times. (laughs) Three times. And it's, yeah, my wife's like, fill that up. No, no, I I still got some more in there. You know, it might say you got 15 kilometers left. You really got 40. And it's not true. Well, maybe for some. Man, I've done it three times. And It's not good for your vehicle. How How many know it's not good for you to run on E? Amen? It's not good. And you don't have to run that way. You know, I could have filled that tank up whenever I wanted to. I had the money to do it, just didn't have the drive to do it. <laughs> and how many is it similar within our own life? You got the tools, you got everything, you got the resources, you got everything you need, you just don't got the drive for it. You don't got the drive for it. Look, when it comes to vision, you have to persevere. I'm talking about the vision of your life vision, Because vision, again, starts with pursuing God When you're pursuing God You're going to have to persevere You're going to have to push through You're going to have to stay diligent You're going to have to stay disciplined And you may say, man, I don't got nothing in me I'm on E Well, come to the place of being rooted and grounded in love Get in intimacy Get in communion Get in relationship with him And out of this place The Bible says that you will be filled With the fullness of God Meaning that there is an actual place within a believer's life where you can be full. Think about that. Meaning you don't have to be running around, walking around, living your life, doing your job, going home after a hard day's work, being empty, and just, I'm done. I'm just physically done. I'm tired. I'm mentally done. I understand all those things, that we can become tired. But look, you're going to have to find supernatural strength in God. Don't preach me down. Okay. <laughs> so, we are being rooted and grounded in love. This is how you know a person belongs in Christ. Because of the Bible says they will know you for the love that you have towards one another. How do I know you belong to the house of God, to God, to his church, to his body? The way you love. Do you love? Amen? (laughs) Look, it's important. This goes against every grain of our society. Our society is think about you, don't care about nobody, get rich and die trying. See, when it comes to the kingdom of this culture, of our world, it is up, upwards, pride. Comes to the kingdom of God, it's low, down, humility. Amen? That should tell you something about what's going on right now in the day and age we live in. Well, okay. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3. Nehemiah chapter 1. Now we're still in chapter one. I'm gonna try to get out of it by today. That's my goal, Then we'll get into chapter two. But like I said, we're gonna stay in this for a while. We're trying something a little differently. I'm gonna try to stay in this for the next eight to twelve weeks in the book of Nehemiah. We're gonna break down every single scripture and every single <laughs> just go through it a little bit. Okay, a little different. Is that all right? Now we must understand in verse three. We'll start there. Now, I went through the life of who Nehemiah is. I kind of gave you an overview last week. Okay? We know that he's a cupbearer. He's a slave. The Babylonians have exiled all the people of Israel out of Jerusalem. The place is in destruction. And for 141 years so far, they've been in slavery. And you're going to see that Nehemiah, in 52 days, builds the walls. 52 days. Pretty amazing what they do. But Nehemiah, we know, is a leader. He's serving in a place of wickedness, of evil, to his captors, to his cap, to people that have taken him captive. If you feel like you have a bad job today and you don't like your job, you don't have it as bad as Nehemiah. I said this last week that Nehemiah, because he was in the presence of the queen, more than likely would have been castrated. Because even Daniel was castrated if you didn't know that. So usually when slaves were in place of royalty, well, they didn't want them to, you know, get any ideas within their mind. We know that Nehemiah is an honorable man, that he's a man of character. He's upright before God. But you're going to see a prayer in a second. In verse 3, it says this. And they said to me, this is his brother speaking to him, the remnant there in the province... Who has survived in the exiles in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates are destroyed by fire. Now look at this. Look at that word remnant. Remnant. There is a remnant that God places in regions. In the story of Nehemiah, there's still a remnant at this time that are waiting They haven't given up. They haven't quit. Now, they may be weakened. They may be barely getting by. What does this sound like? Well, if you go to Romans chapter 11, in verse 1, it says this. Paul speaking to the church of Rome. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people who he foreknew. Speaking of the Jews. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? how he appeals to God against Israel, Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. Now, what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men, or 7,000 prophets of men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And verse 5 says, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. Now, we must understand that Elijah... He just got done destroying 450 prophets of Baal. Sorry. God did it. Elijah's running for his life because Jezebel's after him, going to kill him. He's terrified. The Lord has to encourage him. He says, come on, get up, eat, sleep, relax, wake up, eat. Then he shows him. He speaks to him. He says, look, you're not on your own. There are 7,000 a remnant that are still around. Let me help you today. Paul told the church of Rome the same exact thing. You're not alone. What is a remnant? A remnant is a group of people that are left. And we see in the Nehemiah's day because of destruction, because of being people being exiled. Elijah. God told him, there's still 7,000 people that you don't know that I've kept for my glory. Right here in verse 5, it says, so too at this present time, Paul is telling them that even right now, there's a remnant. Let me help you today. We know that the Bible is a timeless book. It is prophetic. So when we see something like this, we must understand that it also reflects or it comes into play with where we are today. You today and me are a remnant on the Mornington Peninsula. God will use us. See, we often think that God needs a lot of people to do great work. No. Oftentimes what God does is he uses a small group. You're going to see in Nehemiah's day, he uses a small group. And as they begin to work As they begin to put up this wall, the groups begin to come back. The exiled begin to come back. The tribes begin to come back. See, what would happen if a group today, a remnant people of God, begin to work, begin to labor? See, a lot of times you think, well, we'll be able to do it when we get to 1,000 people, when we get to 500 people. Now, granted, you'll be able to do more with a lot more people. But in all reality, I'd rather have 50 people that are anointed by God, that are completely given their life for the cost of discipleship, than a 1,000 people that are lazy and casual. I'm just saying. See, the group may start out small, but it'll grow. See, many people in Paul's day did not... Embrace Jesus as the Messiah. We know that. And a remnant did, and God will use that small group in a big way. Meaning God will use you in a big way. And what do I mean by you? The body. Because again, this isn't individual thinking. No, this is together. This is a common people with a common goal. Pursuing after the heart of God and building his kingdom. God will use you and me As a remnant upon this peninsula. How many believe that? See, it was not the number as much as it was God's plan for Israel that mattered in the time of Elijah. God always has a plan and God always has a purpose. And we cannot misunderstand that God is sovereign in who He is. God even predestined you and chose you before the foundations of the earth. How many believe that today? Now, it took you to choose him as well. You chose him, but he first chose you. God put you and placed you right where you are today. You say, no, my decisions did. Everything that I did, did that. Let me help you today. There are two different things when it comes to the will of God. There's a permissible will of God, and there's the will of God. Now, God will permit you to get out of his will because he can't force you to do anything. But God will always get the glory God will always get the glory when you come back to him and you repent of your wrongdoing. See, some of you today are not walking in the perfect will of God. You're in a place of permissiveness from God, but it's not his perfect will. And you need to get back to that place where God has placed you and called you. And as you do so, he'll get the glory. See, you need to put trust in the grace that God gives, not in numbers, not in what we have or what we don't have. Let me help you today. I want to just give you a brief overview of people that will rob you of your vision or kill the vision that you have. You ready? First one, people that are perpetual critics, and I'll go slow so you can write it down. You can't afford to keep perpetual critics in your life. You can't. Number two, you can't afford to keep people who are opposed to everything you do. Now, I'm talking about being in God, being in Christ. If you're in sin and you got someone that's of God trying to say, hey, you're wrong for doing that, that's different. I'm talking about godly vision, amen? But you can't afford to keep people who are opposed to everything. Number three, you can't afford to keep people who drain the energy and the health out of you. Can't afford it. As a church, we can't afford that. Do you think I'm worried about what every person has to say when it comes to the things we do? No. I'm not, because I'm not doing it for man. I'm doing it for God. And especially someone that's not committed to this house. If you're not committed to this house, let me help you save your criticism. being honest. If you're planted here, if you're contributing here, if you're faithful to here, let's talk. I want to hear your heart. I want to hear your ideas. I want to hear what you're praying about. That's different because you're part of the body now. You're here. But if you're just casually going through, save it. Save it for the next pastor. I don't want to hear it. That's bold to say. I'm being honest though. Because you're not here. Amen? Amen? Really strong preaching, I know. But it's the truth. Yeah. Just like your family. You ain't going to let nobody just come in and tell you how to run your family, will you? No. Someone says, I don't like the way you raise your kids. Who are you? Exactly. I'm sorry. But if someone's close to your family and they know you and you have a strong relationship and they see something, they're like, hey, maybe try doing it this way. And you can listen to them because you know they love you. You know they, they actually care about you and they're not just trying to correct you just for the reason of correcting They actually care about your heart, and they want to see you grow. Amen? So don't take what I just now said that, oh, Jacob don't care about anything that we say. No, that's not what I said. No, I care about what you have to say if you're connected and part of what we're doing. For sure. That's why we don't have a suggestion box on the outside. We don't need a suggestion box. Churches used to have those things. I'm being honest. They really did. You get random people just throwing suggestions in there, and they're not even part of the church. You can't afford to keep people who have no vision of what the future should be. Only a vision for what the future shouldn't be. (laughs) Come on, you got people like that tell you like, oh, that's not going to work. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you today, don't even have those people around you. You can love them from afar, but don't let them speak into your life. You can't afford to keep people who put their own preferences ahead of your own principles. You can't afford to put people or to keep people who put their own preferences ahead of your own principles. I'm talking about godly principles. Last one, you can't afford to keep people who always resist change. Always resist change, and I'm talking about for the church as well. Come on, I'm not just talking about your own specific vision, but I'm talking also about corporate vision. It affects both of us. It affects everything that we do, and it affects everything that you do. You can't afford people to always just resist change. Nah, it's not, we're not doing that. We're setting our ways. That church will die like that. Amen. See... And why is this? Why can I not allow these type of people or these type of personalities to get around me or to affect me? Because the mission that God has called you is too important. Your mission is too important. Our mission as a church is way too important. To allow anybody that is under the influence of the enemy or that is just walking in the flesh and carnally minded to stop what God has called and purposed us to do. So I'm going to do my part as a pastor, and I'm challenging you and asking you to do your part as the body. Amen? We do it, though, in love. Again, I was talking this past uh, Wednesday about the gifts of the Spirit. And one of the gifts I'm getting into this Sunday or Wednesday is discerning of spirits. And a lot of times people take discerning of spirits as I got the gift of discernment. You'll never find that in the Bible. There's not there's no, no such thing as the gift of discernment. No, you just want to judge people. <laughs> it's called the discerning of spirits, plural, meaning demonic spirits, heavenly spirits, and also people spirits. Why am I talking about this? As you walk in love, you really hold you want to hold yourself to high regard of a standard of what godly love is. Every time I get up here, before I get up here, sorry, I say, God, help me preach and teach with the motive of love, always. Never want to come from my own personal frustrations, from my own things that are just bothering me. Because as a pastor, you talk to a lot of people, and you hear a lot of people's issues, and you have the answer, but sometimes you can't give the answer right away. Because they couldn't hear it at that time. And I never want to come on a pulpit and then preach that answer at them. I'm just being honest. I don't want to. Now, sometimes it might sound like that, but that's just the Holy Ghost. I'm just. But I never get up here and say, okay, this person said, Dan said this to me. All right, I'm going to correct him on stage this Sunday. Jesse said that. You know, I'm not going to do that. I'm just not. Amen. Now, I'm going to let the Holy Ghost do it. Let God do it. Let his word do it. But we got to understand as a body today that we must walk in love. I'm almost done. Now, Nehemiah, look at this. There's this remnant. Let me go right here. And we are that remnant on the peninsula. Amen? Come on, say, I'm the remnant. I am the remnant. And God's going to use us. Now, one of the greatest things about vision is you have a personal vision But there's also a corporate vision or a vision for a body. It's okay to have vision for your job, for your family. All those things are great. God has put that in you. Amen? But you make sure you involve God in it. I would encourage you, if you haven't this week, read Proverbs 16. Today I read, or this week I read Proverbs 16 because I pretty much read a Proverbs a day. And this week just happens to have the 16th. It's a great Proverbs to read, especially when it comes to direction when it comes to committing your works to God, I would encourage you just read it and just let it encourage you. Especially when it comes to your business, when it comes to raising your family, when it comes to direction of your life, that, that, that passage or that sorry that chapter will really encourage you and really to shed some light on some things. But you have a personal vision, but we are also connected to a corporate vision, and we are stewarding this vision that God has given us. You and me today, because we belong in Him, we are stewarding what He's given us. When I belong in a certain relationship, I steward my attitude, my actions, everything for that relationship, right? I'm stewarding my life. I'm acting a certain way. When I work in a job, I'm stewarding my time, my effort, my energy because I'm working a job. Come on, how many of you are uh, uh, bosses today or you got employees today? I guarantee you that you get frustrated when you got employees that don't put effort in, that don't come in on time, that are late, that are always making excuses, that are taking a lot of sick days. Come on, right? Or is that the kind of employee you look for? No, of course you don't. So we must understand the same way it is in the secular world is the same way in the house of God. How many people know that you are stewarding what God has put in you? You are stewarding God's grace in your life. So this is why church people should be faithful and committed with what God has given them. Amen? It's a relationship. And it's two ways. This is why we're faithful to the house of God on Sundays. This is why we arrive early and not 30 minutes when praise and worship is almost done. Hallelujah. Come on. Because we are coming in together to worship God As a body, what would happen when we come in a place of unity and love and God begins to work? See, I'm talking about Christians that have been serving God for a while. Now, if you're new in Christ, kind of let this go by your ear for a second. Because there's some of you that have been serving God for years that are still living the same way and expecting different results. You're not going to get different results. You're going to have to change your perspective Of who you are in Christ. You're going to have to begin to steward what God has given you and God has put in your life. You want to see God's glory manifest in your life? You want to see the power of God work in your life? You want to see it in demonstration? Then steward what God has given you. God is not going to give you more if you can't handle what you have now. He won't. And if you're constantly criticizing what you have and speaking against it and saying all kind of negative things, let me help you. You're already producing death over your own life, and you're never going to experience the life of Christ right now. You won't. And you may have every reason, right, to do so, naturally speaking. Let me help you. When it comes into Christ, when you're fixed in Him, when you're established in Him... You don't have a right anymore. Your right has been given up. You're saying, God, I choose your ways over my ways. I choose your desires over my desires. God, I choose your will over my will. Come on, this is what it means to carry on or to take hold of a vision that God has given you. The Bible says in 1 Peter 4, chapter 10, or chapter 4, verse 10 through 11, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Look at that. The gift that you have received, because every single person has a gift, has a grace upon them today. As you have received it, the Bible says use it to what? Serve one another. I am serving you with this gift that God has given me. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that God gives gifts to his church. Talking about the fivefold gifts. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And my role and my function is to equip you for the ministry, the work of the ministry. But let me help you. You today have also a gift upon your life and a grace that God is saying, use it to serve the body. Use it to serve one another. That's good news. And he says, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Varied. Meaning we all got different types of graces in our life. We don't all have the same grace. There's nothing wrong with that, amen? But for some reason, we think that because someone has a higher calling or a higher anointing, they got to do more, and I don't got to do as much. Look, when it comes to the secular world, if you own a business, you know as a business owner, you're going to be the one doing the most work than all your employees. Can I get an amen from a business owner? Right? You're the one that's working your butt off, tired. I get it. But in the house of God, it's not the same way. Because when you got a pastor that's fully, completely burned out and tired, that can't rely on his people to do anything, that pastor will die out. You have to have a body that's functioning together and understanding the grace and the anointing that they have upon one another. I'm talking about a vision that's alive. I'm talking about a vision that affects a community. I'm talking about a vision that is moving forward and not backwards that's not idle that's not stagnant meaning that who you are and what you have upon you and how you grow and develop develop matters to this house matters to God matters for the region matters for your family he says you are stewarding the very grace and it says here, whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Look at that. When we are serving with this grace one another, look what happens. God gets the glory. This is a good place to look at and see does God get the glory within my life? Because if he doesn't get the glory, then you're probably not using that grace and gift that God's placed you with for one another. You're focusing on yourself, or you're probably not using it at all. How do you know a church is walking in the grace that God has given them? He's getting the glory. Not a person, not an organization, not a name. And let me help you today. Why do we have a place of worship? Why do we have a name? Why do we have leadership? God has placed all that in specific regions to affect that region. There's nothing wrong with the building. There's nothing wrong with a name. There's nothing wrong with having church leadership. It is healthy. It is for the body. And this is what we need within this day and age. So when it comes time to buy property, we're easily able to just give generously to it. Because we know that God has called us to set the tone within this region. When it says, hey, we need a million dollars, we need, need five million dollars to build a school, you're like, easy, let's do it. How do we do it? Let's raise the money. Because you see that there needs to be a change in the region you're in. You see, we can talk about all the problems going on, all the issues, and just talk and talk never do anything about it. I don't want to be that type of church. How about you? I don't have all the tools and everything within me to do everything that God's called us to do. Let me tell you right now. I don't have it all, but we do. I'm to the conclusion within my life that it's not gonna fall just on me. It's gonna fall on us. And I'm never gonna be in a role of narcissism and be in a place where I'm leading from the back and saying, go, move, let's do it. No, I'm leading from the front But I'm also going to believe that you will trust in the grace and the gift that God's put in you to build this house. Come on. We're building something here. Nehemiah said this. I'm going to close this. In verse 4, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and continued fasting. Sorry about that. I continue. <clears throat> and I continue fasting and praying before the God of heaven, and I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, listen to this prayer, with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive, your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night, For the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sin of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. Look at this. He's praying now. And we know if you look at timeline and history, he prayed for about three to four months like this. Before you go into Nehemiah chapter 2 is about three to four months. Where he was seeking God, praying, fasting. And let me help you. He started repenting of the people and what they weren't doing and what they did do. When you belong in him, you come to a place of repentance. You know, when you belong in a marriage, if you want to see that marriage healed, you're going to have to walk in repentance. Repent for all the things that you've done wrong and also forgive them. You walk in a place of repentance. Didn't say it was going to be easy. Nehemiah saying, God, I repent for the wrong that they've done and the wrong that my family's done as well. Notice how he started the prayer out, though. He started out with praise. Oh, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. This is how we should pray to the Father first. It's Praise. There's an acronym for pray, P-R-A-Y, that I want to give you. The first one, P, is praise God. In verse 5, you see this. "O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. He's praising him for who he is. This is what we do first when it comes to pray. Pray is praise. Start off with praise. Secondly, you see him or repent of sin. He repents of sin. You see that in verse 6 through 7. The next one is A, and this is he agrees with God's promises. Verse 8 through 9, he says, Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But look, here's the promise. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though your outcasts are in the uttermost part of the heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to a place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. When you begin to pray, you praise, you repent, but you begin to agree with his promises. See, this promise was given in Deuteronomy chapter 12. Also Deuteronomy chapter 9 and Deuteronomy chapter 28. And he's echoing this promise back to the Father. I'm talking about a church, a remnant of people, a people that have vision, that are pray, that will pray. Praise, repent, begin to agree with his promises. And the last one is why. Yearn for God's blessings. Yearn for it. Desire it. In verse 10 it says this. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Verse 11, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Nehemiah praised, repented, agreed with God's promises, and he yearned for God's blessing. This is where vision starts for us. This is why we've been praying. Have you noticed, by a show of hands that have been here for a while, have you noticed that we've been praying a lot in the past 18 months? Have you noticed that? Lift your hand. There's a reason for it. God told me to do it. It wasn't just something that I just decided to do. I thought, cool. God said, y'all need to pray more. You need to be known as a house of prayer. Extended prayer. More prayer. It's preparing because we're going to go into next week what happens from this time of praying and fasting for three to four months. He's preparing. See, when you're praying, what happens is you're preparing for what's next. And if you can see spiritually right now, as we're praying as a church, we're preparing for what's next. Thank you for listening to today. If you are wanting more of these timely messages and teachings, go to our website at Pursuit Church Mornington to find all the other ways you can access Pursuit Church ministry and messages.